Our reading today is from Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say amongst themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is God's word. Okay, thank you. Uh, Morning, everyone. If we've not met, uh, my name is Matt. And um, uh, something slightly different then this morning, we're uh, breaking our normal pattern of uh, working our way through uh, books of the Bible, uh, just to do something one-off topically. And um, uh, when I was planning this, it seemed like a good idea to take this title, Should We Cancel or Forgive People? It seemed topical, it seemed helpful, uh, and uh, I think that was a terrible mistake. Um, because it's complicated, forgiveness. It's, it's, um, very, very, it's, a lot, it's too big a topic for uh, half an hour or so. But anyway, let's have a go. Um, but part of the reason it's complicated is because in part, and some of the online anger is about small indiscretions that people have made that require just people to get over them, overlook them, forgive them. But forgiveness can also be for enormous offence, wounding, crime. So I just want to acknowledge at the beginning and actually just show you two minutes. This, I found this enormously striking. It was a documentary on uh, the BBC just um, at the start of the summer about Mina Smallman. Jacob, we've got that. Hi, Jeanette. It's Mina here. 
sorry to phone so early. Nikki and Bieber have gone missing for over 24 hours. We've let the police know, but we're really getting concerned. As a priest, I've walked alongside people who have lost most that they love, and I haven't had the answers. You know, there are some priests who have walked away from their faith. No one wants to outlive their children. It's horrendous. Two years ago, on Friday the 5th of June, sisters Bieber and Nicole were celebrating Bieber's birthday in a park in North London when they disappeared. The police were called the next day, but they didn't send anyone to the park. By Sunday, family and friends mounted their own search and found the bodies of both Bieber and Nikki. They had been brutally murdered. But the first most people heard of this tragic story was 18 days later, when it came out that two policemen had been arrested for taking and distributing selfies of the women's bodies. I don't know if you ever followed that story. Uh, Mina Smallman is an incredibly impressive woman who uh, very publicly has gone uh, and presented all sorts of things on the BBC, hosted uh, the Today programme, um, but very publicly came out and forgave uh, the killer of her two uh, adult daughters. That is forgiveness <laughs> at the most extreme end, I'd say, for most of us. And actually, it's not really what I want to mostly be talking about this morning. I'm talking about the smaller scale end of online. But I just want to acknowledge that those different poles exist um, before we really get to it. Let me lead us in prayer as we look at Luke 7, towards the end of this together. Our great God and Father, here is a complicated topic because there's an enormous degree, a spectrum of offences that we may or may not choose to forgive. Uh, very, very few of us are going to have a crime committed against us like a mean smallman. But the small little things over each and every day, we have choices there. Help us begin to think through what it means to forgive rather than exact justice. Help us to begin to think more carefully about how we can do that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's ratchet it down uh, somewhat. Uh, Lewis Smith. Lewis Smith, a British gymnast, we may have him. Uh, British gymnast, he's won four Olympic medals. He's been on Strictly, that's not my oeuvre, but you may have seen him on that. Um, and uh, it's a very impressive uh, man, Lewis Smith. Um, a few years ago, or a couple of years ago, he, a video leaked uh, to the press. It was of him and a mate, they'd been out for a few drinks, and uh, they'd come home to his house, and they were playing Disney songs and singing along to them a la karaoke, the two of them, and recording themselves singing. I mean, whatever. Um, uh, but it got to uh, Aladdin, not my specialism, but one of the songs from Aladdin when they're riding the 
flying carpet. And uh, Lewis Smith's mate was singing, they're both singing along, whatever the song is, and um, A Whole New World, is that one? Is that one? Yeah, okay, great. I'm on it. Um, anyway, and, and then Lewis Smith's mate, because he's, oh, I'm on a flying carpet, oh, I'm bowing down, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. And um, this was leaked online and deemed unbelievably offensive, excuse me, to, uh, to Muslims, just beyond the pale. And so Great British uh, Gymnastics dropped him. He was suspended for two months uh, because of this video. He hadn't published this video. Uh, someone, a newspaper had got hold of it. He hadn't put it online. Um, uh, this was, he was suspended for two months. He lost all his sponsors. He wasn't able to pay his mortgage. He wasn't able to pay the mortgage on his mother's house, which he'd bought for her. Just devastating because of, all right, a silly moment from his mate who he was with that he didn't put online, but someone else did, and he was deemed he must be cancelled. Now, even though Great British Gymnastics were told this is utterly disproportionate, in fact, Lewis Smith had a barrister say, look, I'll represent you. They can't do this. That's a stupid thing to be suspended for. He said, oh, I, I just don't, I'm just getting so much online hate I just want to retreat out of here. Don't, don't, I'll take the hit. I don't want to prolong this any longer. Cancelled. And uh, it's one of the common words now in our culture, isn't it? Cancel culture. The best definition I read. Where a group successfully applies pressure to punish someone for perceived wrong opinions. Okay? A group successfully applies pressure to punish someone for their perceived wrong opinions. And sometimes the victim will lose their job or harmed in some way, beyond just being disagreed with. Cancelled. Should he have been cancelled or just forgiven? Stupid man, you know, young man, a bit silly, had a few drinks, let, him, let it go. What should it be? And maybe there's a generational shift. So one of the teachers here mentioned to me, oh, look, you know, I said to my form group um, that we're doing this at church, uh, should people be forgiven or cancelled? And everyone in the form said, well, if they say something stupid online, cancel them. Every pupil, cancel. All right. What if you say something stupid online? I wouldn't. Age 16, are you sure? But what's going on there? Let me just look at it under, we'll look at it briefly under three headings the, the rise of cancelling, the need for forgiveness, and the power for forgiveness. Okay? The rise of cancelling, the need for forgiveness, and the power for forgiveness. First thing, what, the rise of cancelling. Let me suggest three reasons. I mean, it's a bit simplistic, but let me suggest three. One has merit, two, I don't think do. The rise of cancelling. First, then, one reason it, it's grown is, I think, to bring justice. And I think there's some merit in that, of course. Historically, I think in the West, we've seen forgiveness as a good thing. Hard, but a good thing, generally. Most people assume it's, it's a good thing to forgive. But I wonder if that has changed somewhat. That increasingly the idea, if you forgive people, you're endorsing an offence. You mustn't do that. So I, I think one of the most striking cases the last few years um, in the US, white supremacist Dylan Roof, do you remember this one, shot and killed eight black parishioners in a church in West Virginia. 
And uh, very quickly, a number of the family said, well, we forgive the killer. We forgive the killer. This was greeted with outrage. Don't forgive the killer. Don't forgive. You mustn't forgive them. So uh, the, the, the gist of the, the, the argument was, well, hold on a minute. Does black forgiveness only serve to encourage similar white racist violence? Don't forgive. Exact justice. And you can see that argument. If forgiveness only encourages bad behavior, don't do it. You can see that as an argument. Does forgiveness just condone people's sin and say it doesn't really matter? Well, that's no good. In this story we had read from uh, uh, Luke chapter 7, uh, we're told about a woman who lived a sinful life. It's not, sorry, who, who it's present tense, she's still living it, who's lived a sinful life and Jesus says, you're forgiven. We're not told what her sin is. What if she was an abuser of children? Is that okay? Your sins are forgiven. Great, I'll carry on. Well, don't do that. Don't forgive her, Jesus. Justice, please. What if the woman's sin was that she'd stolen a thousand pounds from everyone else gathered around the table? And Jesus says, what you've done is forgiven. Everyone else says, whoa, 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 hold on a minute. Only after she's paid me back, I don't want her forgiven, for goodness sake. I want my cash. I want some justice here. So in that sense, is it good to forgive? Are you not denying justice to people if you forgive? And increasingly, I think, that is what people feel in this area. And so in the whole realm of cancel culture, They've said something outrageous, we must hold them to account. Don't forgive them, hold them to account. And I think there's some merits to that. Although you've got to, where does the balance lie? So there's first reason I think it's become increasingly common to cancel. People think it's just. Yeah, there's merit to that. Uh, then the other two I think are less good. Uh, the second is just to make us feel morally superior. We just feel better when we cancel someone. Uh, we feel better about ourselves. So it's worth recognising, isn't it, that we live in a cultural moment where uh, greater honour and sort of moral virtue are given to people the more they've been victimised. So the more you've been oppressed or victimised, you are more virtuous morally. It's generally how it works in our culture. Now, what do you do if you've never been oppressed? I mean, what do you do if you're actually quite powerful? What do you do if you're like a middle-aged, affluent, white man, and you, like, you, you don't tick any box? So how do you become morally virtuous? In, 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 well, you align yourself with those who are oppressed. You borrow from their virtue. It's what you have to do. So if you're a multi-millionaire prince of the realm, you've got to make yourself a victim. You have to say, I wasn't loved by my parents or whatever it is. Um, I, you know, or align yourself with environmental causes because the environment is the biggest victim at the moment. So you know, no, one, no one really gets upset if you say I'm pro-environment. So you align yourself wholeheartedly. You have to do that. You have to, if, you've got all the, if you've got all the power and the cash, you've got to somehow align yourself with those who've been victimized. Otherwise, you're not a very nice person. One of the most hilarious examples, it's 2020, so a little while ago, but at Davos, you know, the gathering of the 
mighty um, that takes place. And uh, the, the CEO of Goldman Sachs uh, publicly declared at, at, uh, at the Davos Forum that Goldman Sachs would no longer support any company going public unless it had a diverse member on its board. Now, you looked at this, what they were saying. I mean, just one. So a woman, that counted. A man of, I don't know, Indian heritage, that counted. You had to have one. And of course, very quickly, critics observed there wasn't a single company around that didn't have one on their board that ticked the box. So basically, they were saying, we won't support anyone that doesn't I mean, there was a zero-sum set of people they wouldn't actually support. But anyway, this was made. The day he made this declaration was the same day that Goldman's was fined $5 billion because of the money it had stolen from the Malaysian people. Someone know that scandal quite well. Hmm, why are you making this announcement today about pro-diversity, which is actually a nonsense because every single board you, it, it ticks that box? Because we're good people, right? Like we're on the side of the oppressed. We're against, says Goldman Sachs, those nasty companies that don't have a single element of diversity on their board that brackets don't exist. We're really against them. We're a good guy. But what about the five billion you stole? Shh, we're good guys. That's what you have to do. You have to cancel someone to make yourself feel virtuous. You have to align yourself with the oppressed in order to be viewed as a good guy. That's what's going on. And so GB Gymnastics has to drop Lewis Smith to show that despite all the money it gets and its affluence, it's a, it's a, it's a woke organization. You know, you should like GB Gymnastics because we punch down against Lewis Smith. I subscribe to three daily newspapers. I don't think it does me much good, to be honest. But, you know, just to get in you know, what's going on and what are the ideas and what do people think, I'm sure. Just, but um, columnists, there aren't many who are calm or sort of ironic because that doesn't really sell. Anger. Anger. So you get these two things coming together here. You know, it, it, it's um, don't forgive because it condones sin and um, I need to be on the side of the, of the oppressed. And so lots of columnists who are generally well-established characters who've got decent amounts of power in society, they have to align themselves and, with, with someone who's oppressed, and they have to get angry, have to get angry, because it's virtuous to be angry uh, in our culture about certain things. So you can't have any sort of sensible dialogue. So the, 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 the headlines are, you know, inane, woke nonsense of Keir Starmer despicable fascist heretic of Suella Braverman. And um, that's, you have to use those terms to be virtuous because you have to be on some, you have to fight. You have to fight for someone. Or I care about trans rights because, you know, I'm on the side of the weak. Well, I care about protecting women from sexual predators. I'm on the side of those who've been oppressed historically. So I denounce you, and I denounce you, and I denounce you. And we do a nice little dance around one another. So there's one of the bad reasons, I think, for, for the rise of a cancel culture. We, it just makes us feel better. Makes us feel superior. And then thirdly, the third reason I think this has become an increasing thing is, is if you cancel, you can avoid the cost of forgiveness. And there's always a cost of forgiveness. 
in the little story that Jesus tells. Two people owe money. One owes, roughly, if you do the maths, one owes £50,000, one owes £5,000. For the money lender to forgive them both costs, yeah, yeah, £55,000, well done. Uh, There's always a cost to forgiving. It's always the case. Most of the time in relationships, the cost is not a financial one, it's an emotional one. Forgiveness is always an act of um, self-renunciation. You give up your right to retaliate when you forgive. Let me give you a daft example. Uh, This is what, a a few months ago, I discovered someone had... Someone had slandered me. It wasn't a big thing, but they had willfully misquoted me. They knew what they were doing to put me in the most negative light in front of some of my peers. And um, I found this out. I said, oh, I happened to mention it to my wife, Carrie. I said, oh, they've done this, and they've willfully misquoted me. What are you going to do about it? She said, well, it's not a big deal. I don't think people will take it too seriously. So just ignore it, forgive it, move on. Oh, very good, she said. What a good man you are. Um, you know, a week or so later, having dinner with another couple, and I told this story of how I'd been maligned unreasonably and how the guy had misquoted me deliberately to put me in a negative light. Anyway, after the people had gone, Kerry observed, so you decided not to forgive him then? <laughs> well, what do you mean? Well... When you decided to tell these others how this man had unfairly maligned your reputation, what were you doing? You were bringing down his reputation in their eyes. So you decided not to forgive but to retaliate then. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what's happened, isn't it? I suppose I was still a bit miffed. And so, yeah, now they think less of him. Good. Um, now, I think, you know, in one sense, justice of a weirdy sort, I think he had behaved badly, I was telling people, and that, but it's not forgiveness, is it? I had a choice, forgive, retaliate. Well, I decided to retaliate, or unwittingly, or whatever, subconsciously did. Forgiveness is you give up your right to pay back the person. Now, in the online world, if you're upset and you don't want to pay the cost of forgiveness, what do you do? You retaliate. You punish people online. Maybe you get them cancelled. Then you have your revenge. They annoyed me. Now they're gone. Ha. There's some thoughts. The rise of cancelling, three thoughts. One, I think, makes sense. Uh, trying to enact justice uh, for those who are genuinely uh, uh, lacking it. The other two, to make ourselves feel good, to avoid paying the cost ourselves less good. I hope you see that. Let's move on to think, construct a positive case. The need for forgiveness. Why is it so important? And in these sort of online debates or, or cultural wars, whatever you want to call them, why is it so important? Well, let me just say, generally then, personally, generally or culturally, I mean, it's hardly profound to say we've become quite angry culturally. The ability just to overlook small offences, sort of fading a little bit. 
Uh, maybe you do, maybe you don't like Barack Obama, but I listened to, it's interesting, his Pod Save America podcast um, a few weeks ago or so. Um, and uh, he made this observation, if, I don't know if you can read it. Sometimes people just want to not feel as if they're walking on eggshells. They want some acknowledgement that life is messy. It's not always super clear-cut, right? So yesterday, I happened to be uh, took the dog for an early walk, and there were some people setting up some stalls, uh, anti-government, pro-asylum. And the big headline was, let in every asylum seeker. And um, they were setting up. I said, oh, can I take something to read? I'd be interested. I said, for myself, I, I find asylum really complicated. You've got to let in the right people, but some people, you know, so taking advantage. It's a really complicated uh, debate, isn't it? Only if you're a racist, I was told. I said, oh, uh, uh, oh, okay. And you sort of, you walk away. And um, then a little, later, a little later on, I happened to be engaging with, with uh, someone else who was of different persuasion politically. I said, oh, you know, asylum is very complicated, isn't it? Oh, yeah, well, you don't turn into a sort of self-loathing hater of this country, will you? Oh, for goodness sake. <laughs> and so like many of you, you just think, right, that's it. I am, I am just never talking about this ever again. Because I can't, I can't, I try to work out what I do think and engage with it and, and you just get denounced. And life is messy. So Obama went on to say, um, if we got it a little bit further, I think where we get into trouble sometimes is where we try to suggest that some groups, because they historically been victimized more that somehow they have a status that's different to other people and we're going around scolding folks if they don't use exactly the right phrase. There's quite a lot of that, isn't there? Oh, you called me, you said this instead of this. Well, you're terrible. You're despicable. You know, whatever it may be. I, I said sort of trans woman. I meant trans man. I get a bit confused sometimes. That's because you're just, just beyond the pale. Oh, no, sorry. It was just honestly a mistake. It was just a mistake. No, cancel him. Oh, dear. And there's sort of, do you feel that sometimes? Or I, let me express my opinion. No, let's not, not express an opinion here. Goodness only knows what will happen if I, I'll be jumped upon. And that's sort of where we're at, isn't it? It's cancel culture and it polarizes. See it very obviously in the U.S., See it in the UK, it polarizes if you can't engage. One man who knew this better than most, who died uh, a few months ago, was uh, Desmond Tutu. Um, uh, speaking as a, obviously a, a black South African who grew up under the horror of apartheid. And um, uh, again, reading one of the interviews uh, with him not long before he, dare, he died, he wanted to stress again his anxiety that without, a, without forgiveness, there's no future. Of course, famously, he set up the Truth and Reconcil Reconciliation Committee in, uh, Commission, sorry, Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa, which offered, you know, amnesty and forgiveness if you came uh, in a court and voluntarily said, here are my crimes, here is what I did wrong. I publicly confess the full truth uh, of what I did. And of course, Maybe you forget, but enormously controversial at the time. But his argument was the only way we could move forward as a nation is if there's forgiveness. Otherwise, we just end up like the Balkans. 
fighting, 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 retaliating, 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 retaliating. He said, look, unless there's, without forgiveness, there's no future. Had you ratcheted it back from the cultural level, just to just the more personal or the smaller scale, unless you forgive, you never allow the other person to change their mind. You never allow the other person to grow. If someone says something you disagree with and you just throw rocks at them, they're just going to defend themselves. If you engage, if you forgive, well, maybe they'll grow. Maybe they'll change. But if you just throw rocks at them, no one's going to do that. So culturally, it's just so important that rather than cancelling things we disagree with, we're able to forgive. And personally, the very powerful documentary, that two daughters who she lost, Mina Smallman, she's asked halfway through, um, so you're a Christian, what would you be like? What would it have been like without your Christian faith? She observed, I would be a very angry, bitter, and twisted female, definitely. My faith has saved me on numerous occasions. When we hold on to hatred for someone, I've realized it's not only them that is held captive, it's also you. You can never move on until you forgive. You can't move forward without forgiveness. We just need it culturally. So let's turn as we finish to, to more explicitly then to Luke chapter 7 and um, the power for forgiveness which Jesus outlines here. The key is to know that a great debt has been paid. Let me make three little points, then we, then we really are done. Uh, first, we're all in debt. Jesus can pay, and that makes a massive difference. We're all in debt. In this story then, Simon the Pharisee, he throws a party, or he throws a dinner party. And in the culture of the day, if you invited someone important, so you know, others could wander in, and that's what happens? Clearly, this woman wanders in. So verse 37, a woman in the town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came with an alabaster jar of perfume. Notice verse 37, it's present tense. She's living, who, she lives a sinful life. She's literally, she is a sinner, is literally what the Greek would tell you. So it's not that she's done mistakes in the past and now she's changed and she's looking for forgiveness from the past. It's her ongoing pattern of life is sinful. That's what we're told. But what she does is she takes out the perfume and pours it on Jesus' feet, this extravagant gesture, an alabaster jar of perfume. Now, this is not just your Calvin Klein eternity for 50 quid or something, or whatever it costs, probably a bit more than that. Um, uh, I mean, all the commentators will tell you, an alabaster jar that's what you, of, of perfume, this is nard. This is super expensive used for anointing. This is a year's salary. This is like 30, 40 grand she's just poured on someone's feet. I mean, that is a bit much. That is over the top, just to pour 40 grand on someone's feet. And the Pharisee just thinks that's weird and that Jesus should have nothing to do with this sinful man. And so Jesus tells a little story. Verse 40, Simon, I've got a little story for you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Well, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, 50,000 pounds. The other 50, 5,000 um, pounds. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. 
Now, which one of them will love him more? Well, Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven? Well, yes, of course. Of course, that's the case. What is Jesus saying here? He's trying to explain to Simon the Pharisee, all of us are in debt. Greater or lesser extent, maybe, all of us have sinned. That is, all of us have fallen short of God's perfect standards. He's given us everything. We treat him like ungrateful children, and sometimes we mistreat others as well. Let me put it in these terms. Uh, I have a friend, Colin. That's not his real name, but anyway, Colin. Uh, Colin is one of three kids, and uh, since the age of 21, his sister has rejected the whole family. He still doesn't know why. She's never explained why. They grew up in what he thought was a pretty loving family with good parents. Not perfect, who is, but good parents. And the sister got to 21, been through university, and just said, I'm out of here. I hate this family. Why? I just do. And for 20 years, has had nothing to do with them. Now, there's a couple of occasions Colin has tried. He's got her address, and he's knocked on the door. She's opened the door, slammed it in his face. He still doesn't know why. The, uh, the dad has got cancer. He hasn't got long to live. Got in touch with his sister. She just replied, I do not recognize this family. I mean... Imagine the hurt that causes to them all, the rejection. Well, we, we funded everything for 21 years just on a sort of financial basis, and isn't there any sense of gratitude? No. What about... Well, but that is, in one sense, just a little picture about how we treat God quite happy to take gifts of life in this world and then say, well, you can naff off now. Don't need you anymore. I wonder if part of, I wonder if part of the appeal of a modern atheist movement is, you know the God of the Bible is not very nice. You can cancel him. And then you don't owe him anything. Well, that's brilliant. I, I, don't owe, I can cancel God and not owe him anything. Well, that's fantastic. Um, but you, and you, you can't do that. Any more than I can say to my mortgage provider, Barclays Bank, I think you're institutionally, whatever, misogynist. I cancel you, and therefore I will not repay my mortgage to you. I mean, that might be convenient to me, but they may pursue me legally, and there will be a reckoning at some point. You can say to God, I, I don't recognize you. I cancel you, God, because I don't like you. I don't want anything to do with you. It's just convenient if you're not there. Well, you can say that if you want, but there is a reckoning. And you come before him. Jesus' point to Simon is we're all in debt. Some have lived utterly immoral lives. Some of us mildly immoral lives. But we're all in debt before the Lord. And Simon, only I can pay. At the heart of the Christian faith is God paying off our debt. And therefore, it's not that debt is ignored but that it is paid, it's absorbed by Jesus, by God himself. When God forgives, he isn't saying sin doesn't matter. He is saying it matters. There must be a reckoning. 
but I will pay. So there is justice, and sin is taken seriously, but there can be forgiveness too. It is like the moneylender saying, I'll pay 50,000 pounds instead of you. Jesus says, I'll pay for sin instead of you. I'll take your place in hell so you do not have to. That's the wonder of the cross. Upon the cross, when Jesus dies, there's forgiveness and justice. The debt that we owe is paid. And Jesus says here to, to Simon the Pharisee, look, this woman's got it. Verse 47, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. She gets what's happened to her. She gets it. And that's why she can do this extravagant gesture. She knows that being forgiven is the most extraordinary thing there is in this world. And so to pour out 40,000 pounds upon my feet is nothing. Well, it's nothing compared to what she's been forgiven. Okay, I guess if someone wrote off a loan of £50,000 for you, you'd be thankful. If God writes off the debt of your sin, which frees you from judgment, that creates a thankfulness. If Jesus says, I'll take your hell so you can go to heaven, there is a thankfulness there. And knowing that that debt has been taken, that enables you, that frees you up. It gives you the ability to forgive. In the small things, your name being defamed, all right, I bogged it up, but I should know better. In the larger things, I can mean a small one who can declare, I will forgive. Because in the end, again, the question still to, what, to you and to me, to a classroom of 16-year-olds, forgive or cancel? Cancel. What if it's you that needs forgiving? Ah, and if you know you've been forgiven, of course it changes how you treat others. Of course you're more likely to forgive if you've understood the weight of God's forgiveness for you. So should we cancel or forgive? Well, we want there to be justice. Of course we do. And we want there to be forgiveness. And if we know both those things have happened at the cross, it enables us to think far more clearly about what we do and how we treat others. Let me pray as we finish. Our great God and Father, in one sense, it's very simple. We, we know when we've been offended, our, our desire to retaliate and that forgiving is hard. Father, we can see that. We may not understand everything going on in the wider culture, but we can see the damage that a lack of willingness to forgive small offences does and how it generates division. We can see that. But Father, acutely for ourselves... Would you help us understand more deeply that uh, we owed a debt and Jesus paying it is enormously liberating? And would that truth affect us deeply so that we can live differently, we ask, in his name. Amen.